Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Adam Ludgate. Adam is a technical leader who is involved in the startup tech community and is enticed by new and innovative ways of solving problems with technology. He has worked previously with the likes of IBM Canada, AOL UK, tech startups in London's Silicon Roundabout, as well as in a variety of oil and gas software firms in various software development and leadership capacities. Let's welcome Adam back to the podcast for his interview with Kelsey Hahn, discussing leadership and the future of work. Take it away, Adam. Hi, I'm Adam Ludgate and welcome to another episode of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast. I am back after a bit of a hiatus in hosting. So been a, been a crazy time for me and finally able to get back into contributing to the, the Rainforest podcast. And today with me, I am speaking with Kelsey Hahn, who is the CEO and co-founder of Monarch. Welcome to the podcast, Kelsey. Thanks for having me, Adam. So yeah, I want to get into I want to get into Monarch and you know your involvement in the Alberta tech ecosystem and all that. But before we do that, just would love to you know for you to give an introduction of yourself to the listeners. Yeah. So as Adam mentioned, my name is Kelsey. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Monarch. We at Monarch are on a mission to really help leaders navigate the great leadership transition currently occurring in organizations, which I look forward to getting into a little bit more. But before that, a little bit about me. Originally from Saskatchewan, from third generation entrepreneurial farming family. So I would say that entrepreneurship has kind of always been in my blood and seen a lot of that growing up. The sacrifices, the risks. Moved out to Calgary kind of right after the floods. Spent over almost eight years at a family office in town as managing director of our research arm there. Had amazing exposure to kind of just the philanthropic scene, the investment scene, a little bit of some of the burgeoning tech ecosystem that was starting to happen at that time. And was also building a little bit of a boutique consulting practice within the family office focused on organizational and leadership assessment. Um, and as well, my co-founder, Dr. Amanda Julian, was on my team in that capacity. And essentially, we were seeing a lot of challenges in the traditional consulting approach to leadership development. And when COVID hit, we figured there was no better time to start a company. And um, thus, Monarch was founded late 2020. Also for listeners, full disclosure, I am, I joined Monarch myself, I guess almost a year ago now in running up the tech team. So just, just for people to be aware about that. And lastly, yeah. So can you just talk about your involvement in the tech ecosystem, Alberta? And, you know, I, I believe you're on the chamber of commerce for Calgary. Maybe, maybe just talk a little bit about that. Yes. So a couple things, like I said, so at, at Viewpoint, they are kind of as well in early stage, pre-seed, seed, kind of low-key investor in the ecosystem. And so we had a little bit of exposure to some of what was happening in the space, had an opportunity to see Athenian in their very early days, which, you know, obviously they just raised a significant round, I think, fast tracking to unicorn status here in Calgary. But I, I think when we started, we we figured that I, I don't think we were aware of all the barriers that we would really see being women in tech. 
And now I think being in the investment ecosystem and, and leading the company, we've kind of seen and experienced some of what's been happening over, you know, the last two years. But I would also say that we are our eyes became really open to also the privilege that we've been able to experience coming from just, you know, a solid business network and background. And so I think from personally, I really wanted to get involved in trying to help women entrepreneurs and founders of minorities in the ecosystem get started, you know, especially when they don't maybe come from a place of like a strong network and, and having the opportunities that we definitely had access to. So yeah, as you mentioned, I sit on the Calgary Chamber Board of Directors. And of course, the chamber is very is getting very involved in this aspect as well, hosting a lot of like different kinds of events that, you know, provide exposure to women in tech and business. And also from a director level, figuring out what we can do to help attract more talent into the ecosystem, more investment into the ecosystem. So I think, you know, in terms of my involvement, I I say to people that I never say no really to any opportunity to, I would say, use my voice, whether that's moderating panels, whatever it might be, just kind of authentically sharing our experience, my experience, and also seeing what we can do to help. And also something else, we're actually recording this in person. So that's kind of exciting because I think a lot of the recordings were done remotely in the last two years. So it's nice to be back doing face-to-face in person. So let's dive into Monarch. Let's talk about the technical solution, what problems it's solving, where we're going, where we're going in the market, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So at Monarch, we are a team or a team now of 10. We are experts in, as, as you know, Adam knows, we're a team of experts in leadership and organizational behavior grounding everything we do in the psychological principles of the way people work. Alongside our specialization in organizational and leadership assessment, we have an on-demand digital leadership development platform that combines psychology-based psychology learning with a community of practice, really with the goal of empowering leaders to own their growth anywhere, anytime. In terms of the problem, you know, we are helping organizations, as mentioned, navigate this great leadership transition that's currently happening in the workplace, whereby by 2025, 75% of the workforce will be millennials. And so for those of you who don't know, <laughs> millennials are actually, I think the oldest millennials now are actually 41. So I know there's a, there's a little bit of an orientation around saying, oh, millennials are the new the new generation in the workforce, which actually isn't true. We now have a generation called Gen Generation Z in the workforce, and those are the younger ones than the millennials. And so what we're seeing is that by 2025, millennials will really have eclipsed baby boomers and Gen Xers in terms of the leadership positions that they're taking in organizations. When we talk about the great leadership transition and, and kind of what's occurring in the workplace, I think all it takes is one glance at the news to become really hit with the stark reality that the world has changed. Organizations are being forced to navigate extreme complexity and strong leadership is now no longer just about producing profits. It's about respecting and taking care of multiple stakeholders from your employees, to your shareholders, to the communities that organizations are operating in. <clears throat> and leaders are expected to take positions on more than just their strategy. They're being asked to take a stand on their ESG issues, to lead with an understanding of DEI, to be aware of the impacts to their business with AI and cybersecurity. They're supporting employees in mental health. So it's just, it's no longer an option not to take a stand and everything that leaders do is under a microscope. 
So we're really, as mentioned, helping organizations and leaders equip themselves with the skills and particularly the behaviors to be able to appropriately address these challenges. Okay. And so this is taking form on a, in, in the form of a mobile app and also an online web platform. And then I want you to just talk a little bit more about the traditional approaches to leadership coaching and development. You know, for me, my aha moment with the product was when, you know, you and I shared it, had a conversation around, Hey, Adam, have you ever done any leadership coaching? Have you ever done any leadership training? And, and in fact, I had, and you asked me how effective I felt it was. And, and, you know, if I thought it was a good, good re- return of investment on my time, and I said, in fact, no, you know, I sat on a, sat on a course for a week or however many days it was and digesting large volumes of information. And some of it felt quite obtuse and not necessarily practical. And, and I think, that, you know, you again, you're, this is the world you're coming from. So you can maybe share more detail on what that traditional space looks like, but it was very hard for me to gain value out of it. Just given the the nature of the short the short time or spending a lot of time but all condensed at once and not really practicing anything and so maybe talk about that traditional approach versus how the approach that you're taking yeah no and I I love that you share that story because that's a that's always been a little bit of my like kind of opportunity to catch people and to get them to take a step back and realize that that there, there's a problem in the industry, right? And most of us in a lot of different ways have maybe touched or done different aspects of what could be considered leadership training in organizations. And so trying to catch people in that aha moment. But essentially the, the industry, the top two forms of leadership development in the U.S. today are executive coaching and instructor-led training, which could be categorized as kind of like a, you know, a week course or some of those like fancy business school courses where you actually go and you spend a week somewhere on campus. I I would say particularly with that With that approach, the idea is you go there, you become immensely immersed in this education, and then you come back transformed. Similarly, with executive coaching, although great, a lot of those engagements aren't necessarily continuous, some not grounded in, you know, actual assessment, hard to actually dig into practical content. And so all of the the space can really be characterized as being very episodic, fragmented, not a continuous experience, tends to be high touch, requiring lots of human and manual effort, and therefore very expensive, making it very limited to people at lower levels of the organization, often entering into leadership roles for the first time in their career. So another fun stat, the average age of people taking on managerial positions in their organizations is 30. The average age of leadership development training is 42. So we have a 12-year gap there. Bit of a discrepancy, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so obviously what we're trying to do is create more of an, a low-touch experience by democratizing the access to leadership development through a digital platform, creating more of a habitual experience, getting people to engage in their development in the flow of the workday, rather than taking them out of their jobs and asking them to engage in coursework or, you know, do some sort of reflection and then take it back to their jobs. It just, you know, adult research around education, retention and learning would suggest that those, those things don't really work. Yeah. And actually that's interesting. You mentioned the adult research. I think it may not necessarily just apply to apply to adults, but also to children, right? Like when you look at what a child will learn in school, they're basically going to repeat over and over and over again in small doses, the same pieces of information, maybe adding on little bits here and there in order for them to eventually retain it. And 
it's not as though, you know, adults have good, better information, information retention, but I don't think that there's a drastic massive and people can, there's probably research that goes into this and maybe, you know, but I don't necessarily think that there's a huge increase in your ability to retain and absorb information, um, in adulthood compared to childhood and, and like people just seem to forget that, right. Just, just because you have a university degree and you've, and you've quote learned how to learn doesn't mean you can retain information just by reading it once and just knowing it and carrying forward with it. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the research would suggest that we lose 80 to 90% of what we learn in a traditional classroom setting. And I think any of us can think back to our yeah high school or university days and, and think, okay, do I actually remember much of what I read in a textbook? So that's the challenge. And then you're right. You know, I know you and I both thinking about thinking about it because we have school age kids, but it's, you know, my daughter will come home and tell me about the things that she's learning. Right. And so she's reflecting, she's contextualizing her experience. She's probably practicing some of the things she's learning, all helping to solidify and create a foundation of what she's learning. I would say the other thing that we we really try to do is, so a little bit more about my background. I spent over 20 years as a, a university athlete or college athlete, we'll call it, in I played hockey. And I call myself now a recovering athlete because I, I can't really give myself that title anymore as an athlete. But so spent a lot of years really in kind of like high level sport and performance. And that's where my love for leadership, motivation, all things team coaching really grew. And when I got to the business workplace, I, I think I was really very struck by how leaders just don't seem to engage in skill development and, and performance change in the same way that athletes do. You know, you look at Connor McDavid, I like using my hockey analogies, but Connor McDavid, you know, arguably one of the best hockey players in the world still practices every, all the time, probably nearly every day and is making a concerted effort to get better, you know, has this mentality that I've never arrived, you know, my skills, I can continue to grow and get better in my career. And so we want leaders in the workplace to embrace that similar kind of mentality, which is just because you've been promoted into the C-suite or into a high level leadership position doesn't mean that you're now the best leader in the world. In fact, it means quite the opposite, which is you now have more responsibility to show up even stronger for your team and for your organization. Yeah. And the hockey analogy fits well, right? You've been moved up from the fourth line to the third, to the second, to the first line. Now the pressure's on because, you know, it's the dying seconds of the game and who are they putting on the first line? Now you're on the first line because you've been promoted to the first line and you better be practiced. You better be ready. Right. So, which unfortunately was never me because I was never the most talented player. I like to say, I, I always had to work really hard to, to work up work my way up on a team. And so I was always very focused on what am I doing off the ice? How can I, what are the factors that I can control? Because there's so much obviously in sport that you can't control. And so was always very focused on that. And so a lot of what we're trying to do, you would know in within the application is replicate that experience of how athletes engage in strong skill development, successful skill development. And so, you know, we look at behavior change as a little bit of a loop, but some of the elements involved would be having strong assessment, being able to engage in 
in a practice oriented way and in, into the behaviors that you're learning, perhaps having some sort of like coaching and reflection opportunities along the way, of course, getting quicker feedback loops into the system. So figuring out how we can create more feedback in the workplace, because typically we're all a little bit hungry for more feedback. Sport, of course, provides this amazing environment where you get really quick feedback loops, natural feedback loops which we just don't necessarily have in the workplace. So we're trying to replicate all of that within the, the software. Um, yeah, and I do want to get back. I want to do dive a little bit more into the feedback mechanism, right? Because that is actually a pretty important part of the platform outside of the you know pure leader, leadership of growth and development. But just to go back to one of the points around people, that big discrepancy you mentioned where people who are taking training are in their 40s and people who are in the position where they need the help are 30. You know, I, I resonates very, very well with me. And I've, I've heard it resonate with a lot of other people. You have a good skill set. you stand out amongst your peers, but you're good in whatever, whatever discipline you have, right? In my case, it's a tech tech background. I wouldn't say I'm the world's best coder, but I, I did well in, in the teams and, and kind of had that, had that kind of tendency to move toward leading tech teams. And so that's, that's kind of where it took me. And then when I first found myself in that chair, move being, you know, promoted and all of a sudden having to run a whole, a team with a whole bunch of people, I was, well, A, it was quite intimidating and B, you're still focused on your day-to-day -day work. So running teams like this is hard to, to really take that time to, you know, that whole traditional model of, I, I actually, I'm going to stop working with everybody. I just got promoted. I'm going to go learn how to be a leader and I'll be back in a couple of weeks and then we'll be all good. Right. Like it's just, it, it doesn't, it, it's just not a good solution. So if I if had had something like that to support me at that moment in time, I think it would have been, and even just small, right? It didn't have to be, I don't have to, to spend a whole ton of time, but just getting 10 tips or 10 things to think about and think about them every day or a couple of times a day and think about it when I'm interacting with my team and just be, be delivering a higher value leadership skill set, you know, would have been hugely valuable. So yeah, maybe just talk about that because I think, I think that's a real thing that resonates a lot with people is being promoted and just being like, I, what, okay, what do I do now? No. And I mean, we see that in a lot of environments. I, I met with an executive the other day at Ford and she said, you know, this happens in the automotive industry. This, we see this obviously in the oil and gas energy industry. We see this in the investment and finance industry where particularly people are promoted because of their technical expertise. That's why we have so many geologists and engineers running the city. Unfortunately, you know, it's because leadership behavior is very hard to quantify and, and performance, we are not always promoting people for their leadership competence. And then we think of it as like an ad hoc, a bit of an afterthought. Okay, now that we've promoted them, we can get them training and we'll make them good leaders. And yeah, you're, you're right. Like those, those behaviors need to actually be started well before someone is promoted into a leadership position. So instead of it being, I don't know, we call it like remedial training, you know, once you get into the job and now you have to like fix some of your bad habits and start to create new, new behaviors we want to prepare leaders before they're ever promoted into those leadership positions. Yeah. I think the challenge too, is that like the skills that we're, we're training on, you know, they're traditionally termed soft skills, but really they are hard skills. Research would suggest they're the hardest skills to learn, you know, being an effective communicator, supporting your team in strong performance development, goal setting. And so it's just, it's, there are things that although everyone has, can have the opportunity to grow and develop, 
they're just, they're not always practiced or integrated into an organization in a way that would allow people to learn kind of flexibly on the job. A lot of good leaders in organizations today will tell you that they learned how to be a great leader from a strong mentor, just having access to a strong mentor and being able to bounce ideas off of them. Most leaders, to your point, will not say that their <laughs> that their experience or their leadership success was driven by a, you know, a course that they took or some sort of education. And I want to talk a little bit about the feedback mechanism, right? This isn't kind of another parallel. I wouldn't, it, it's value add or parallel thing that Monarch provides. The traditional feedback, maybe just talk about what a traditional internal feedback mechanism would look like at a company. Like what are, and what are the, why do we do that? Why do we do things like 360 assessments? What are the tangible benefits that we seek to gain? And in doing those types of things, why do companies do them? What's the traditional model look like? What's the Monarch model look like? Can we still achieve those same tangible benefits? Yeah. I, and well, that would be the other thing that we talk about too, is, you know, is creating this orientation in organizations that leadership is part of your job. I would say oftentimes in the best organizations we see that are getting it right, when people are promoted up the chain of command, they actually, um, purposefully lessen their response, their external responsibilities potentially. Right. Because now there's a big chunk of their job that should be devoted to serving their team. And, and truly I hear the best leaders say that all the time, right. You know, and they have mechanisms to build that into their workday, which is like, you know, maybe they have like weekly check-ins with their reports or office hours or open door policy, whatever that might be. But they, they have this orientation around, I, part of my job is now ensuring that I get the best performance out of the people that I lead. So that's like, that's a, you know, a subtle but interesting mindset shift that I also think a lot of leaders don't orientate themselves around. So when we talk about 360s, like maybe, maybe we'll just talk about that for a second. So we, this was one of the things that we used to do in our previous consulting capacity was administer traditional 360s. So what these typically look like for those of you that aren't familiar with 360s is a leader would engage in a self-assessment. So on a, on a comprehensive set of behaviors, for us, our 360s that we used to do, they were 90-page reports assessing everything from strategic capability, judgment, critical decision-making to leadership aspects like aspects of transformational leadership. So how, you know, your visionary capabilities, your ability to model effective behavior, provide individualized consideration to those that you, that are on your team. So very comprehensive. So a leader takes the self-assessment and then they identify or their organization identifies, you know, upwards of eight to 15 external individuals, peers, direct reports, people that they directly report into, sometimes even external stakeholders. So directors you may serve with on boards, people on external advisory committees, essentially anyone who has really good visibility into your work related behaviors. So not selecting your mom or your dad or your spouse, but people that you regularly work with that can assess your behaviors. So all of those people engage in, in the 360, they provide their feedback. And then what happens is we compile the data or an outside body compiles the data. And what a leader gets back is, is a very comprehensive, often long and lengthy report. Now, the, the biggest challenge in these reports is that they, they tend to become a stale very fast because the data is kind of captured at one point in time. As you can imagine, they're extremely overwhelming, you know, to often, I think leaders, the first time they look at these reports, their mind jumps to, 
holy cow, I have a lot of weaknesses. But the benefits of them are that they become extremely illuminating for a leader around their blind spots. So areas where people may have rated them lower than and they rated themselves higher. So kind of the delta there between between those behaviors and then as well, hidden strengths. So areas where your team may have actually rated you higher and you rated yourself lower. So that's where we saw really the benefit in those reports. And, and one more problem, I guess, with traditional 360s is that unless a leader is has the opportunity to engage with a coach one on one who can work with them and through all of the the insights that came out of their report on a regular and kind of developmental basis, those reports often are never looked at again. <laughs> and so they sit on a shelf collecting dust and they again, they become stale very fast. And they probably cost quite a bit of money. Yes. And they cost a lot of money. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Upwards of, you know, most I would say are over $2,000 per liter. So yeah, very costly. And so most, again, most leaders won't even have done a 360 in their career until very late stages. What we've really tried to do is break down the 360 process, chunk out our assessments into micro forms so that we're, we're really isolating the experience to behaviors and individual goals, trying not to get you this like 90 page report and getting people to just really focus on the self-awareness aspect, which is if we can just focus on one small behavior at a time and identify the blind spots and behavior and, and hidden strengths within that, then I think what our approach is, is we want to get people coming to the table, open to working on, working on their skills. So yeah, I guess versus the traditional model, we're looking at rapid feedback, more fluid feedback. Mm -hmm. And to your point around this report's becoming stale, right? We can get around that because this is not a lengthy, expensive process. We can repeat this process on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, or whenever you see fit. And it gives it gives that quick, tangible feedback without a lot of effort up front and cost. Absolutely. Yeah. And and more regularly. So what we're trying to do, obviously, through the app is create more of that 360 feedback from your team and those you work with happening weekly not just once a year, because we want you a leader to be able to engage and practice new behaviors. And then, you know, speaking to the feedback loops I was talking about earlier that we get in sport, getting those quick feedback loops in the business world. So, you know, we talk about going into or leading a team meeting and trying a new strategy around, you know, how you direct and organize the meeting. As you walk out of that meeting, sending the people in that meeting a really quick survey or asking them for feedback around, you know, how did I show up? What was my behavior like? Was it effective for you? So just trying to create more awareness around those behaviors. Cool. Thanks for the thanks for the background. And so I wanted to talk a little bit more around the wider ed tech space. So Monarch would be categorized as a ed tech company, I believe. You know, you've been I know you've been working really hard pitching to investors and and you know doing market research and learning about how how the particularly I think North America what the competitive landscape looks like so maybe you can talk about your experience around all that and and the edtech space in Canada and globally yeah so edtech is is kind of one way that one vertical that we fall in another one is also the future of work which you know I obviously spoke to earlier which is how organizations are being you know frankly through covid forced to adopt rapidly new ways of working particularly digital tools to connect remote and hybrid workforces so yeah we also kind of fall under that future of work category yeah from like from an investor perspective i would say we have very few 
we have a lot of funds dedicated towards B2B SaaS businesses, which is similar to our fund, but, you know, not as many investors that are exclusively focused on ed tech or future of work. So we have been really on a mission to find more of those investors, a lot of them existing in in the US that have very kind of clear mandates around the products and the tools that they're looking to invest into. In terms of competitors, it's it's interesting. Like when we talk about competitors, at least so far in the Alberta landscape, where we're trying to build a, obviously a little bit of a groundswell in the product, we are often selling into nothing. So we talk about our, one of our biggest like competitors being status quo. And that would be because of this like 12 year gap we talked about, right? A lot of companies are doing something at the very highest upper echelons of their organizations, maybe just their CEO. It has a coach, but beyond that, there's really nothing being done in the, in the depths of the organization for first line frontline managers. So for us, the, the, the education for customers is really around why we need to be educating leaders earlier, more often and, and around the behaviors that actually matter. So that's one thing. And then I would say there are some good products out there that are doing, doing great work. A lot of the, the competitors that we, we think are kind of setting the way for the market are ones that are grounding what they're doing in evidence-based practices, kind of really trying to bridge, you know, what we see being done in academia and what's actually happening in the applied or the business world, trying to bridge those two worlds and, and bring more science-based learning into the workplace. But I would say a lot of the providers out there are using, using technology to deliver training you know, whether it's through like webinars or virtual group coaching or virtual coaching, or even some competitors are doing AI based coaching. We are actually using technology to, to not only deliver, but to scale the training. So our price point is a lot lower than our competitors because we don't rely on human coaches to deliver our training, which again, frankly, means that we can, we can provide that training at the very front lines of the organization. Yeah. Okay. And I want to ask you a little bit about COVID here because, and this is something that I always, I always bring up in my conversations and in these tech problems, because we saw what happened with COVID and the, the explosion of online platforms and solutions for virtual working. And I find it really interesting to think about this particular problem set, you know, you're leading a team. Let's say you got promoted in June of 2020, and you're now being given a team of 10 to 15 people, and you have to lead them over Microsoft Teams or Zoom and email and whatever else tools you use. You know, can you talk a little bit about the what what this training space looks like and how COVID has impa impacted it? And now going forward, the you know, to your point about the future of work, where we're going now, right? Are people people are not we're, we're not all returned to the office. We're not in the office five days a week. Some, some businesses are operating that way, but the, the trend seems to be a hybrid working model. So that in itself is, is a, almost as like a whole new vertical of learning and skill for leaders to know how to manage that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about all that. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And so we started Monarch during COVID and a, a lot of it was because we saw this like need and this, like the, the challenges that leaders were being faced with, they'd never experienced before. Right. I think leaders were very challenged in their communication. A lot of people feeling really distant and isolated from what was happening in the company. So, but now, you know, fast forward, uh, I'd like to think that we're almost kind of out of COVID, but we, 
but, but we're not going back, right? People had never really used video calling or video meetings before 2020. And then we were all thrust into it. And that part will never go away, right? We now have an opportunity to connect with people across the globe via video and meet people that we never would have met before, which, you know, I think is absolutely fantastic. However, we are still seeing a major need and interest in in-person experiences, whether that's in the workplace or conferences. So, so as you say, the, the path forward is hybrid people. I think it's becoming very clear. They want a little bit of time in the office and a little bit of time at home. And there's a lot of research as well to suggest that a hundred percent remote doesn't work, you know, and I know a lot of tech companies in particular are pivoting to this a hundred percent remote However, you know, Microsoft actually did a big study around this during during COVID. What they found was that two things particularly suffered with 100% remote, collaboration and creativity. So I think, you know, from our perspective, we, we want to help organizations support whatever this hybrid model looks like. And I think what that means is leaders have to become much more intentional about how they lead. You know, you can't just hope to run into someone in the kitchen and remind them of something. And you're not triggered by those like in-person cues, you know, oh, I, I need to catch up with Sarah and do, and do a one-on-one check-in because I just saw her walking down the hallway. So we have to be much more intentional and, and I think organized about the ways that we're connecting with our employees and the experiences that we're giving them. And I know you and I talk a lot about this in terms of we just moved into new office space. And so, you know, there was some question around, well, do we need office space? And, and I think as a leadership team, we talked a lot about it and, and where we've kind of landed is, and and this is the one I push leaders on. If you can make your work experience for your employees, so awesome, so great, much more fun than being at home by themselves, I think that people do want to come into the office, you know, and they do want to have those in-person experiences. It's a really interesting topic to me. And following up on your comment about Microsoft, I think they do some of their own internal research and they share it with the community because they published something else fairly recently about incentives for people to you know return back to the office. And seems to be the trend in all this polling and surveying is that a lot of people are saying, well, why are you asking me to come sit at a desk when I'm on video call? Because sure, 80% of the team is there or 70% of the team is there, but a couple other people are remote. And so in order to facilitate this, we're on video calls all day anyway. So I'm sitting here at my desk and we're thinking, okay, well, we you understand, or people who understand leadership, who understands the importance of that social capital that we lost. You know, I've talked about this on other, on other podcasts that, we, you know, we had, we had social capital in place when the pandemic kind of hit. We all went to remote. People were, were good. We worked together. We made it work. We did our best. And over time, you kind of lose that, that social capital. And so we've got to try and regain that. But how are we incenting individuals to to see that and and rather just than not just seeing the whole, I'm coming to an office, I'm commuting, I'm spending time in a car and a train so that I can sit on a video call in this location instead of this location. Mm-hmm. And some people don't even care about that. They, they crave the in-person regardless and they'll just do it. But a lot of, from the polling data that I've seen from including this Microsoft, recent Microsoft survey, they talked about the fact that the majority of the people who said what would most incent them to come back to the workplace would be social events being with people, doing things, having a reason to be together. That's the biggest thing. They didn't care about a foosball table. They didn't care about free lunch. They didn't care about what they wanted was drinks with their friends after work or whatever it might be, some kind of social networking event that they can, they can enjoy their colleagues and and get that. 
Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe just talk a little bit about, about your stance and all that. Yeah. I mean, we're social animals. I think that's what that's, I hope people learned that during COVID, which, you know, we saw mental health rates, you know, go through the roof and a lot more discussion around that and people being challenged with that. And, and that's what I hope we take away from this is that we can't live in a hundred percent virtual world, right? We are like designed to connect with other humans. However, you're right. Like just offering these, I would say like vanity types of incentives, they don't work. What people really want is genuine connection and opportunities to enhance their, their performance in their job with their colleagues. So yeah, I think that like the, the ways that we, you know, you and I talk about it a lot, but like we're trying to figure out ways to create more of that collaboration and opportunities to be creative with one another, particularly in roles that require it and, and, you know, or roles and environments. So in a startup, you know, we're moving so fast. We, we need to communicate all the time with one another to share our learnings, share things that we're hearing from customers, share, you know, new user and product feedback. We need to do that all the time. And it's not always easy or like efficient to say, Hey, can we, can we hop on a one hour call? So being able to call like a really quick huddle in the, in the kitchen area, those are the kinds of things that people are looking for because ultimately it helps them do their jobs better as well. Just to close the loop on Monarch itself and, and, and just kind of understanding the company a bit more, can we just talk a little bit about the, the customer base, you know, the market, are there any particular types of industries or companies that, that are interesting to you, or is it more just a kind of general white collar working world or all encapsulating white collar, blue collar jobs, all those kinds of questions about customers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I would say we're obviously we're, we haven't raised a seed round of funding yet. And so we're kind of very much still in this like product market fit world whereby we're testing in a lot of different kinds of organizations with a lot of different kinds of users. And we're learning a lot, learning and pivoting all the time. So I think the one thing we know for sure, our market is absolutely ginormous. There's not you know, a company in the world that cannot benefit from leadership training. I say, I always say that I can walk into a room and potentially everyone in that room could be our customer. So very, very big market. But in terms of, I think like where we're seeing the product work best is definitely in knowledge intensive environments where talent is absolutely critical, retaining that human capital. We talk about it in as like companies that are very much competing on their decisions, right. And their talents, they're not making widgets and it's not about how much, how much, how productive they are, how many widgets they can punch out. It is about the decisions, the strategy, the, the creativity of your product or what you're innovating in or the space. And so when we think about it like that, we need to have the best people on our team. Right. And so that's where it's working best because, because the nature of leadership is so interrelational what it, you know, ultimately what great leadership does is it drives the best out of people. It makes them perform at the best and you get this like wonderful discretionary behavior from employees where, you know, people are going above and beyond because they care about your purpose. They care about what they're, they care about their job. They care about their work. They care about the organization. And so those are the, I would say the environments where our product seemingly is working best right now. Yeah. And it's interesting too, around again, the future of work in this modern workforce and you know, people are way more picky than they used to be. And we can, you know, go down the long path to discussing generational differences in behavior and, you know, 
our parents' generation where you would work for a company for your whole career and then in the more modern generation where people, you know, I think the average, I think the average tenure is three to five years or something like that at a company. So, you know, it's interesting to think about all that and incenting people to stay with your company and all these little things that you can do to to build up the quality of your leadership and team to incent people to stay or buy and believe in the company and, and feel supported and, and all that is it's really interesting that, you know, it's, it's one, I guess it's one more tool. This, this becomes one more tool at the disposal of, of, of businesses to try and bolster their attractiveness for the workforce. Well, yeah, it, it's absolutely an attraction tool. We see a lot of customers coming to us for that interest, obviously some to, you know, to more focus on retention, lowering their turnover, and then some just to be purely looking at it from a developmental aspect. But, you know, on the attention attraction front, we, what did we see through COVID? Millions of Americans left their job, what we call the great resignation. And it's still happening today. And if you talk to younger generations, they will tell you that they are making, and, and the data shows they are making decisions about their careers, not based on compensation. And we're, you know, I love thinking about it in like a startup environment. People, we're convincing people all the time to work for less pay for a higher purpose, right? So we kind of like live in that world, but it's, it's, it's true. It's people are looking for something different. They're looking for companies that have a strong purpose, companies that care about aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion, companies that take a stand that are balancing profits alongside purpose. And from, from an employee level, people are looking for companies that will invest in them over the long term. I love, I love the way that our younger employees are challenging us. You know, we had one employee that started with us that said to me before she signed her contract, she said, I want to, I want to understand what my long-term opportunities at this company would be and how, you know, you guys will be investing in me and supporting my growth as in my career. And I just love that question, right? I don't think that that's something people were asking of their organizations 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so, yeah, like the, the bar is just getting higher for organizations to compete for talent on. Well, hopefully you're going to be able to position some organizations to succeed in that front. The next topic here and kind of the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, Alberta tech ecosystem. This is, We're on the Rainforest podcast here, and this is a topic that's near and dear to me. I'm, you know, all about this and and I know you are too because you're trying to build a tech company in Alberta. So I, I want to understand from the chair you're in is what what has your experience been through the last two years in building Monarch Company? You know, how have you felt about the support network that that's been put around you by organizations like the Rainforest and A one hundred and all these other groups? Have you felt has it been good to be part of it? Have you felt supported? Um, what's your take and are there, are things that we can do better or things that we're doing really great? So there's that part of it. And the second part of it is around, you know, fundraising and capital. And I've had, I've spoken with other individuals specifically at, at length on this topic and what it's like to build a, a startup in Alberta, Canada and funding opportunities. And, you know, what's your experience been there that you can share? So a lot, <laughs> there's a lot, you know, that you've asked about and to kind of think about. So Maybe let's just talk about, I guess, the Alberta tech ecosystem. I think like I'm going to be a little bit authentic and raw with some of my thoughts. So hopefully that's that's good. That's what your listeners want. Yeah. So the when my co-founder and I, when Amanda and I started, we thought to ourselves, 
okay, women in tech, there must be like tons of grant opportunities available for us. You know, if we just really get after it, there, there should be a lot of opportunity for us to build our business in a really, hopefully in, in a somewhat like non-dilutive way. That didn't really turn out. We haven't been able to access a ton of grants. I would say like grants and non-dilutive funding in Alberta is seemingly kind of hard to access. We've gotten access to some federal ones, but you know, the, the processes are very lengthy. They can be hard to navigate. They're really long. And actually my experience has been the farther along we get and the more established we get in our you know, where our product is from like a revenue perspective, but also like a strategy perspective, the more attractive we become for those grant providers. And, it, you know, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's kind of ironic because maybe we need less of that grant funding now, and we could have used it more in the early days. And so it seems like there, you know, those things are hard to access when you actually need them, when you're really just starting out and don't have access to investor capital. So that would be number one. Number two, I think like I had started the podcast kind of talking about this, but I think, you know, we were very fortunate to come from a really strong investor network and, and having worked in Calgary for over eight years had built like a really strong network of just kind of angels and people looking to, to get involved in the tech ecosystem from an investor perspective. I often think about the barriers to minorities and women potentially that that aren't connected to those ecosystems. You know, if you're an entrepreneur not coming from the business world, I think it would be really hard to get access and connected to the right, you know, the right kinds of capital. Because I think a lot of people, it's no secret in, in the Alberta e ecosystem, you know, you get kind of access to one investor, they put you in touch with another one and you kind of do the rounds. So yeah, just from like an access perspective, I think that that's something we have to get figured out because I think it can be very challenging for some people to raise money in this ecosystem. Do I feel that we, that entrepreneurs are well supported from a community per and funding perspective? I think we have a lot of accelerators, you know, that's another thing. We have a lot of different groups doing a lot of amazing things. I think from a, from a founder perspective, it would be helpful to see more alignment with some of those programs because I think you can kind of go down a number of different rabbit holes chasing and chasing these accelerators and programs. And, you know, maybe that they're not well suited for the timing of where your company's at. Maybe you're not well positioned to take as much advantage of them as you could. So I, I think that there's room for more alignment on that front. And we've kind of been we've been subject to that. We've been, we've been in accelerators where I think the timing has been really poor for us. We're not able to commit the time to get the most out of the experience. I think that there's accelerators where they can be quite distracting, you know, maybe you're further along and the education isn't well-timed for where you're at. So yeah, personally, I would like to see more alignment with those kinds of things. Investor perspective, maybe, you know, I think we've done a lot of, we've been fortunate to have a U.S. investor on our cap table, as well as at our, our advisory table, who, who provides a lot of insight and also connections for us into the U.S. market. And I think that's really been helpful to see like both different perspectives. And I think it's very clear, you know, talking to American investors versus Canadian investors is a very, very different experience, you know, from not only like a valuation perspective, but also just like a stage perspective, you know, the, the, the demands 
of what a Canadian investor wants typically are a little bit more conservative. The rounds tend to be longer, more due diligence required, more focus just generally on the business, the idea, the market, the opportunity, less focus on the entrepreneur, the idea and the risk. I would say generally involved. So yeah, lots there. And and for us, we're really trying to pursue both in a lot of ways. I mean, getting access to American capital as well, building our company in Canada. Great. Thanks for all the, thanks for all your thoughts. And yeah, well, and that's, that's the whole mantra of of the rainforest, right? You know, if you, if you ever attended one of the lunch without lunch meetings, which I think are now returning to some in-person you know, the idea was any would, anyone would show up. So we'd literally, there'd be, you'd show up and there'd be people who just came to Canada three months ago and have literally no, almost nobody yeah. and supporting those types of people. Right. And, and if they have a great idea, we, I love that kind of stuff. So it's a good, it's a good thing. We may, maybe we need more of it. The, the one thing I will say, like to shout out some of the positives there there are a number of people in the city, you know, you being one of them, Adam, like the way that we connected with you in the early days and you were just, just open to providing your advice, you know, around how we needed to set up our tech strategy, you know, just from like a, from like a give back kind of stance. There's so many people like that in the community. I'll give a shout out to Nick and Marjorie at Halsum. They have been instrumental, I would say, and just being like open and providing feedback. Josh Malott and Adrian at Athenian have been very open in sharing their experiences. Like don't go down this path or, you know, be wary of this. And I think that for me has been some of the most valuable feedback we've received, you know, looking at companies that are just like 18 months, two to three years ahead of us and, and having them share their experiences around, you know, what to watch out for and, and also where, where you could go in a positive way. So that I love that about our ecosystem, like kind of the natural grassroots sharing between founders and companies and just being open to like share one another's experiences. Absolutely. And the the point you made around fundraising in Canada versus US, I did a very extensive conversation with Randy Thompson last year from Valhalla around this specific topic because there'd been a whole a whole discussion around Canada, you know, you're not the you're not the next Silicon Valley and and whatever else. And Randy was like that. Don't, don't try to be, don't try to be what you're not, but it's just really interesting to hear your feedback on your experiences, basically align exactly with that conversation. I encourage people to go back and listen to it. If you're interested in this topic, people are a little bit less, or I should rather say they're more conservative in the Canadian investing world than they seem to be in the U S world. And the tech crash is in the last, well, I guess we call it a mini tech crash in the last six months has also thrown a bit of a bit of wrench into that. But generally that trend seems to hold here and your, your experiences seem to validate that. Well, yeah. And the the other thing I'll just say on that is that from a U.S. investor perspective, they want to see like they only want to invest in globally like big dreamer type of entrepreneurs and companies. And that's where we're going, you know. And so if I would say that, you know, not every company is right for maybe the Canadian tech investor ecosystem, right? Where, you know, we're not looking necessarily to just play in Canada. We want to go global. And so we want access to American, to European, to investors all over the world, because those are the markets from a customer perspective that we want to get into. And I've also been told by U.S. investors that, you know, when it comes to attracting capital into Canada, we need to make ourselves look less Canadian. And that was a comment that really stuck out with me, like in our deck, just figuring out how to, you know, access more more global customers 
global advisors getting, making so that we don't look like we're just a small town Alberta play, you know, figuring out how to really articulate that we want to go big in our dreams. And so, yeah, that was just like an interesting perspective because they don't want us just isolated in our little Canadian roots. They want us to think, how are we going to be entering those markets? It makes sense too, right? If you're, if you're in their chair and you're trying to make an assessment about where you're going to put your money, you're going to think about the, like, of course they're going to think about those things. It makes total sense. So we've now spent nearly an hour talking. You, I believe are on your way to Atlanta for a conference. You have a newborn child. You've been incredibly generous with your time. Uh, so thank you. Anything else you want to, you want to discuss here? Shout out to the world before we wrap it up. Shout out to the world. No, I just think like what Rainforce is doing is amazing. I think like having these kinds of casual conversations is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about my experience and some of the challenges. And I also love connecting with founders that are 18 months behind us so that I can also share, you know, missteps that we've made. And so I just like to put that out there because I feel like we've benefited so much from others that I'm always I will always make myself available to have those kinds of conversations with people and and share my whatever I can in in the hopes that it's helpful. And and then, you know, you just mentioned the other thing, which is, yeah, like this is like I, I want to just provide more. I would say like kind of genuine insight into the experience for working moms, working moms in in tech startups is is it's really challenging and we need to have a whole like support system behind us in order to be able to do that. And I also think we need to have the right investors, customers who support that as well. You know, I was on a, an investor call this morning, again, shout out to the 51, but you know, my daughter came into the room as the meeting was happening. Cause it happened to be an earlier meeting. And they were like, they, they gave me the space and the freedom. They said, take a pause. It's okay. You can go, you know, work with her or get her set up and just come back when you're ready. You know, a lot of investors would kind of, I've been on calls where investors are like, is your kid crying in the background? You know? And so the opposite experience where there's like a little bit of like, can you get your stuff figured out? Can you, can you actually like be in this meeting and not be, you know, be distracted by your children? So I think it's been amazing to have investors and an ecosystem that is supportive of, of advancing working moms. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, to me, the way I see this thing is that you, what, what happened to you this morning is absolutely the right thing. And if somebody can't support you and understand that perspective, you know, like you're taking a risk, right? You've, you're having children doing a startup, you know, taking a lot of risk with your life. And, and if an investor can't be understanding with that, and if they, if they deduct points from you because of something like that happens, you don't want to work with those people anyway. So hopefully, hopefully eventually we end up in a world where that is never even a, so a subject of discussion. Maybe we're not there yet, but let's, let's keep our head down. Lastly, if people want to learn more about Monarch, where do they go? Yeah, we hope you do want to learn more about Monarch. So our website is pretty simple, leadwithmonarch.com. We're on Instagram, also leadwithmonarch, LinkedIn. We share a lot of research, insights. You get to learn a little bit about our team. I'm also on Twitter. We're all, Monarch is also on Twitter. So connect with us on any of those mediums and... Um, yeah, definitely connect with us if you want to learn more or share your leadership experiences and provide any insight into what you see happening in the market and the future of work. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Kelsey. Thanks, Adam. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. 
become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.